Welcome to another inspirational message from Northwest Church. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information on what your next step may be, please visit our website at northwestchurch.com.au. Um, week two of the grind, and uh, and the grind. Every every topic that we're looking at, thanks, Storm. Every topic that we're looking at, kind of apart from today's is really proactive, really positive, really, you know, last week we looked at purpose. Daz preached a great message on purpose. We're looking at intentionality. We're looking at hope. But today we're looking at something that actually is something for us to let go of and isn't necessarily as something to lay hold of as the other topics that we're looking at. But this thing, if we don't let go of it, then it will cause our life to feel like a grind even if everything is going well. Have you ever had everything on the outside just kind of going well, but you feel low on the inside and you don't even really know why? Well, this might be one of the reasons that you feel like that. Talk amongst yourselves. Okay. So... If you have had the fortunate decision-making process of following Jesus, then you probably know the feeling. Maybe you didn't feel a feeling when you decided to follow Jesus, but maybe you did. And maybe you felt that kind of, that, that peace that comes to you. Maybe you felt that, maybe you weren't familiar with the concept of sin or even really agreed with it, but, but on that day you felt like something lifted. Maybe you just felt that joy and, and you felt just excitement. I want you to think back to that day that you decided to follow Jesus. Just something changed and shifted on the inside. There was a, a hole that you didn't know that you had that was all of a sudden filled. I want you to think about that moment. And, uh, and, and maybe as time went on though, you realize that though your past was dealt with, that you still had a past. Your past didn't actually go away. And maybe as time went on, you found something creep into your life, something called regret. And regret came to you, and, uh, and it came to you maybe day after day, maybe about things you've done. Here's the thing about regret. It doesn't need to be this huge eventual kind of thing where there was this event and now you've got regret. Regret can come at any time. You know, you probably know if you've known me for any length of time that sometimes I don't always filter things that come out of my mouth the best way possible. And, <clears throat> and sometimes it might be funny, but it's very rarely necessary, other things that come out. And so sometimes I'll go home on a Sunday and just go, Bron, why? Why? And, and, and that will happen now. But, but sometimes even now, I'll think of things that, that I said in my 20s from the pulpit. They will just come into my head and I'll go, you're an idiot. That's my, my self-talk. When I think of those things that I said, the phrase that I said, the example that I used, I'll think, you are an idiot. That's my self-talk. Now, it is true that some of us have more of a propensity towards regret. I'm a thinker, and so I overthink things. And, and, you know, some of us are thinkers, and we've got a bigger playground between our ears, lots more monkeys on that playground, and they're just dive-bombing off the slippery side constantly. And so some of us are more inclined to be that way. But I think regret comes to us all. And regret might kind of creep in, and, and it might be like a stealth ninja that puts us in a pot of tepid water and then applies the heat, and we're just like, this is a nice bath. And then we boil to death through regret or it might be that it just comes like a wave and something just hits us and wave after wave crashes over us of regret. Regret is defined as a feeling of loss, disappointment or dissatisfaction and isn't that the case? It doesn't necessarily need to be this huge disappointment but just this dissatisfaction. Oh, 
why did I say that? Oh, that was dumb when I did that. Oh, that was stupid. All the big ones of, my goodness, that, that wrecked stuff. That, that was awful. You know, we have um, regret for the past often, but you also can have anticipated regret for the future. Every Sunday night, I am exhausted. Uh, you know, if I can have a conversation after Sunday night church, I'm doing so well. But I get home and I just crash in my recliner in the lounge room. And our kids want us to come in every single night to say goodnight to them. So when I crash in my recliner, they yell out, are you coming in, mum? And I say, no, I'm not. It's Sunday night. No. And invariably, Bella will yell out from her bedroom, mum, I'm 15. I leave home in three years. You're going to regret not coming in if you don't come in right now. And I'm like, I will deal with that when the time comes. But it gets dads every single time. Just like, oh, yes, I will. I will regret that. And so in he goes. And so whether it's a regret for the past or anticipated regret for the future, regret affects our present like nothing else. And it causes us to live in drudgery and live in this kind of state. And it causes us to live in the grind. So this morning, I want to bring two things to you. Number one, regret is bad and must be rejected. And number two, regret is good and must be embraced. Amen. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5 to 10. This is Paul speaking. When we arrived in Macedonia, there was no rest for us. We faced conflict from every direction with battles on the outside and fear on the inside. But God, who encourages those who are discouraged, encouraged us by the arrival of Titus. His presence was a joy, but so was the news he brought of the encouragement he received from you. When he told us how much you longed to see me and how sorry you are for what happened and how loyal you are to me, I was filled with joy. I am not sorry that I sent that severe letter to you, though I was sorry at first, for I know it was painful to you for a little while. Now I am glad I sent it, not because it hurt you, but because the pain caused you to repent and change your ways. It was the kind of sorrow God wants his people to have, so you were not harmed by us in any way. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just come to you this morning and ask that you would illuminate your word to us. God, I pray that each and every one of us would take home one thing at least this morning to live in our life. And Lord, let us go away and live it. Lord, we don't want to become spiritual fatties that just come week after week and hear your word and go away and do nothing with it. But God, we want to go away and pour out your word and do your word so that we can come back and have room to be refreshed again, Lord. Lord, let us be those that are doers of the word and not hearers only. And Lord, let us trust you with our lives. We trust you to give us the exact word that we need individually this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, here Paul is writing a letter because he's referencing a letter that he'd written before. This is 2 Corinthians. He's referencing the letter he wrote in 1 Corinthians. And uh, he's referencing a letter where he had kicked someone out of the church or asked them to kick someone out of the church. One of three people recorded in the New Testament that were kicked out of the church. Two of them are named for all of history. Hymenius and Alexander kicked out of church because they, they had shipwrecked their faith. Now, we're not given any details on those guys because clearly it was a a situation that was well known to Timothy to whom that letter was written. But we're given detail on why this guy in Corinthians was kicked out of the church. And it's because, if you're easily offended, just close your ears for a moment, he was sleeping with his mum. Yep. And uh, and that's gross. Um, But more than that, he wasn't ashamed of it. 
And, and he wasn't, it was a practice. He was okay with it and the church was okay with it as well. Now, I was kind of thinking about this and I'd heard some stuff and someone had told me some stuff about, um, you know, first century Rome and what the Romans kind of got up to. And I thought, well, I need to, I need to read that for myself. I don't want to take someone's word for it. And, and church, this week I read some stuff that I can't unread. You see, the Romans, they, they didn't treat sex as an expression of love, which is all it's ever used for in our modern culture. Um, but, but they didn't use it as an expression of love. They used it as a show of dominance. And so everything to do with it was actually just to show dominance. And, and if you can think of things in the world today, just let me tell you, there's nothing new under the sun. That it was horrific back then. And, and the church was kind of rife with that kind of behavior. And Paul's writing to them saying, no, we're supposed to be separate. We're supposed to be called out from the world. It's not supposed to be the same. And, uh, and so he, he writes to them and gives them a definitive and decisive action to take place. And they go ahead and do it. So he's referencing that moment and saying, hey, you know what? When I wrote that, I was sorry because I knew that it would cause you pain. And any leader that's not a psycho should feel like that because it's good to look someone in the eye and tell them what they need to hear and love them and say, I need to because I love you tell you this. And as they kind of go, oh, ouch, to feel bad about that as a leader because you just cause them pain but to be okay with it because you love them. That's how it's supposed to be. That's actually not just for leaders, that's for Christians. That's for the church to be able to have those conversations with each other. And, uh, and so Paul says, I'm sorry, not sorry. I was sorry, but I'm not sorry anymore because it brought about the kind of change that God desires in your life. And now you're not just okay with that kind of behavior anymore. And the whole church has changed and, and come to a place of repentance. And I'm so glad. I'm so glad for you guys. So, if regret is a kind of regret that just causes more regret and you can do nothing but regret, then you want to reject that kind of regret. But if you regret and it leads you to repent, then you want to embrace that kind of regret because that's the kind of regret that God wants you to have. Amen? Amen. Okay. So I want to give you two examples, one of regret that led to death and one of regret that led to life. And um, you all know, we just celebrated it in that amazing encouragement from Trav, that that Jesus died on the cross and that was, that was eternal and that was significant and that was spiritual. But on, on the ground, it was very natural. Uh, that death wasn't like this symbolic thing. It was a very real death. And in order for it to take place, you needed enemies and you needed a betrayer because Jesus was actually loved. He was loved by the crowds. People that were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. He had that kind of way about him that included the excluded that loved the unlovely, that embraced the people who had been shoved out, that lifted up the oppressed. He had that kind of way about him. So he was loved. But that upset of the balance and upset of the status quo so upset people that he created enemies. And so he couldn't just be, the enemies couldn't come and grab him at any time because the crowds would have rioted. So he needed a betrayer on the inside to be able to get him at just the right time. And this is how that took place. Jesus was at the home of Simon the leper. And we can't just rush past that because Jesus was at the home of Simon the leper and leprosy was not curable. So either the NLT says that he previously had leprosy, but every other version just calls him Simon the leper. So Jesus had either healed him, so at some point had forsaken God's law in order to approach an unclean person, put his hand on him and healed him. He'd either done that or he was disobeying God's law by going and eating in an unclean person's house. 
You see, Jesus ate with people that everyone else pronounced unclean. When that bloke's walking around yelling, unclean, don't come near me, don't come near me. Jesus is like, can I come to your house for lunch? Is that okay? And Simon's like, yes, I'll, I'll come. No one ever comes to my house, but yes, please come. And Jesus arrives with his entourage. And then while he's eating, a lady comes along and cracks a bottle of perfume over his head. And the disciples are indignant. Not because, like, who does that? Like, why? But because that was actually a ceremonial tradition to anoint someone with perfume. Because they said, hey, or someone said, that bottle of perfume could have been sold and that money could have been given to the poor. Now, I just want to, a side note, just be aware if you know the cost of everything. If you walk around places and you're like, you go to someone's house and they've got a really nice vase and you're like, oh, that could have been sold and gone to the poor. That money could have been put to better use. I just encourage you to be aware and beware of that because the other bloke in the Bible who was like that is called Judas and you don't want to be like him. Okay. Um, so Judas is here and, and, he, and he says this and, and Jesus says, no, 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 it's okay. She's just anointing me for my burial. And if they were a little confused, the other disciples were reassured. We don't hear from them about that subject again. But Judas gets up and at that moment, he decides that he's going to the priest to betray Jesus. And he goes to them and says, what will you give me if I hand him over to you? And they say, we'll give you 30 pieces of silver. Judas has walked with Jesus for three years. He has slept where he has slept. He has heard every word come out of his mouth. He has gone and, and, and looked after the treasury to fund the ministry of Jesus. He has gone everywhere with Jesus for three years, which goes to show that we can say that we'll follow Jesus and hand him over and sell him out for 30 pieces of silver. Judas goes and, and stands with the high priest and says, what will you give me? And they say 30 pieces of silver. Now, clearly Judas has got such a burden and a heart for the poor he probably rushed straight out, gave that 30 pieces of silver straight to the poor. First poor person he could find, except that we find out later he still had it a couple of days later and was able to give it back. So clearly that wasn't the real issue. So Judas betrays Jesus. And um, I want us to read in Matthew chapter 26 what happened. Oh, sorry, Mike, I gave you the wrong one. It's Matthew 27, so I'll read it out. Matthew 27, verse 3 to 5. It says, when Judas, who had betrayed him, realized that Jesus had been condemned to die, he was filled with remorse. So he took the 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priests and the elders. I have sinned, he declared, for I have betrayed an innocent man. What do we care, they retorted. Because any time you sell someone out in conversation or in business or anything like that, the people that you sell out to, they don't care about you. They just care about the benefit that you're bringing to them. What do we care? They retorted, that's your problem. Then Judas threw down the silver coins in the temple and went out and hanged himself. So here's Judas. You see, I don't think that Judas anticipated that Jesus would be condemned. Because why such a severe reaction to him being condemned if he did? I think that maybe Judas anticipated him being handed over to the chief priests, nothing being found that would stick, and Jesus being released, Judas makes a bit of money on the side and everything's okay. For him to have such a severe reaction, I feel like he wasn't expecting that. And, and the Bible says that, that when Judas was hanging himself, Jesus was being tried by Pilate. So I believe that Judas was in the crowd watching on to see what was going to take place. And as everyone's yelling out, crucify him, 
crucify him. I wonder if Judas was kind of looking around going, no, what? No, surely not. No, that's not how this was supposed to go. Because when, when they, Pilate says, yep, righto, I hand him over to you guys. He runs back, throws the money and heads out. And so filled with remorse and regret, he isolates himself. He feels immobilized. He feels disqualified and he hangs himself. That's regret leading to death, very literally. Here's another person who betrayed Jesus. Actually, everyone betrayed Jesus that night, not just Judas. But one person that betrayed him, he said these words publicly a few hours before Jesus was taken. Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you, Jesus. I will never disown you. A few hours later... He says, I disown you, Jesus. I disown you, Jesus. I disown you, Jesus, three times. Only a few hours after his declaration, he disowns Jesus. I disown you. You see, Jesus was over here being slapped and spit on by the high priests and, and, and mocked and scorned by the high priests. Peter wasn't that far away. It would have only kind of been from here to there in, in the yard and... and Jesus and Peter disowns him three times. A girl says to him, weren't you with Jesus? And he goes, no, no, no. And then, and then she presses him and says, no, no, I'm sure you were with him. And, and he says, no, I wasn't. And, and she presses him again and says, no, no, I reckon you were. And the Bible says he called down curses, whether he cast or whether he, what he did, he, I do not know him. And I wonder if at that moment when he vehemently disowned Jesus, if that was a moment that Jesus heard him because he had to do it so vehemently, yelling out curses, that Jesus looked across at him and eyeballed him. And Peter saw him and, and remembered the words that Jesus said, you will disown me three times before the rooster crows. And then the rooster crowed. And in Matthew 26, verse 75, it says, suddenly Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even know me. And he went away weeping bitterly. Can you imagine the regret that is gnawing at, G at Peter's heart? Maybe you can. Because maybe in, in woundedness or in anger or in fear, you've said something to someone that you're still feeling the gnawing regret of that moment that you said that thing that hurt them so much. Maybe you know the gnawing regret of acting on an impulse that you just wish you had had more self-control in that moment. Perhaps you wish that that moment had never taken place and you've got that gnawing regret. You've got the gnawing regret because of the consequences that followed. Or maybe no one knows about it and you're still feeling that gnawing regret. Maybe you just feel right now that you're so disqualified that you're completely eviscerated and immobilized because of that regret. Well, what was Jesus' reaction? A few days later, decides to cook Peter breakfast on the beach and cooks him his meal and the whole disciples are there, but Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, well, feed my lambs. And he says again, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He says, well, take care of my sheep. He says a third time, Peter, do you love me? 
I wonder if it dawned on Peter then. I disowned him three times. He now he's asking me three times. And he says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And he said, well, feed my sheep. And then he stands up and says, Peter, follow me. The same instruction that he'd given him before any of this happened, he gives to him again. He's like, I know what you've done, Peter, but it's done. Now I'm reinstating you. We're done. We don't need to mention that anymore. Here we go. We're on and upwards again. And if you feel disqualified and you feel like Jesus can never use you, I just encourage you to look at Peter who disowned him three times and be encouraged and know that he will reinstate you. I want you to think about the possibility of Jesus' conversation with Judas. But Judas had disqualified himself. That conversation wasn't possible because Judas had allowed his regret to drive him to isolation, to immobilization and to a very real death. Is there a conversation that Jesus wants to have with you? But you're not letting him have it because you're saying, no, no, my regret is too big and, 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 and I need to isolate and I feel a bit immobilized and I just am a bit shut down right now. Well, this word regret, metamelomahi, that's how they say it in Greek. They even do that little pitch rise at the end, I'm pretty sure. But uh, meta, it means, it actually is the same word. Regret is the same word for repent. So if there is regret, there should be a result in repentance. And that's what happened with Peter. He, I just imagine him. He, he didn't say the words, I repent of my bad behavior, Jesus. He just said, I love you. I love you. I love you. And just like, right, great. And I imagine Peter just standing up and wiping his eyes and going, can I have another chance, Jesus? And Jesus going, oh, Peter, I've got loads of them. <laughs> I've got loads of other chances for you. You're going to need them. And, uh, and Peter did. Um, so Peter repented. He, he, his regret led to repentance. And if we have regret, that's where it's supposed to lead us. Because regret is good and should be embraced. Because we should allow that regret to turn us off ourselves and turn our eyes onto Jesus and say, Jesus, I don't want to live my way. I want to live your way. Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord Jesus. Regret is good. If we allow it to turn us to Jesus, he will change our thinking and that will lead to freedom. But regret is bad and should be rejected as well. Regret that leads to death should completely and utterly be rejected. Paul said to the Corinthians in this letter, he said, I'm so glad you've changed. But in another part, he says, make sure you, you go and get that brother, that, that, you know, the one that you told to leave. Make sure you go and get him and bring him back in. Make sure he's included. Make sure he's accepted. I want you to imagine that, that man. Like he's just been told, you're out, mate. That behavior is unacceptable. Can you imagine how easy it would then be to walk back into the church? The church that had told him that he had to go? Well, I, I hope that the church was such that they were like, whew, we were all getting it wrong mate, come back in. Come on, let's keep going together. And I just want you to remember who wrote this letter to them. It was Paul. Paul who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Paul who had been beaten, flogged and shipwrecked. Paul who had been stoned non-recreationally for the gospel. Paul who had been completely just shown his gumption. But Paul who had been shipwrecked, washed up on an island and they were building a fire because they're all like bedraggled and oh, they'd be starving and hungry and they're going to cook some meals. And so they washed up on this island 
And Paul's like, oh, I'll help. And he grabs some firewood and he puts it on the fire, little knowing that in the firewood was a viper. So he puts it on the fire and the heat dries out the viper and attaches itself to Paul's hand. Paul's like, ah, I've got a viper on my hand. Where's Russell Coyton? <laughs> I don't think he knew him. Um, but the, the islanders say, surely this man must be a murderer. Because he, he was arrested and he's on that prison ship and he probably felt like he'd escaped because of the shipwreck. But now Justice, the goddess that they worship, Justice has made herself known to him and he will die regardless. He must be a murderer. And the viper's attached to his hand. And Paul maybe heard that, but Paul wasn't always Paul. You see, he was a murderer. Paul was a murderer. They were speaking the truth. He used to kill and persecute Christians. He was a murderer. And so Paul could have, like, gone over and said, yep, you're right, you know. Yeah, I can't, I shouldn't be helping. What the heck am I doing? Obviously, it's all caught up with me, and I thought that God had led me to do this, but he hasn't, and so I just may as well let this venom take course, and I'll, I'll just, Jesus, if you want me back home in heaven, then that's, that's what I'll do, and just let it take its course. Sometimes I feel like we're there. And we let the venom of regret take its course in our life. And we go, oh God, I thought you called me and I thought you had a plan for me, but obviously that's by the wayside now. I actually believe that some people in this room as little tackers felt the call of God on their life to certain things. But then thought, oh no, that that mustn't be the case anymore. I can't be that, I can't do that anymore. Too much water under the bridge. Paul knew who he was. Fortunately, he remembered who he is. And in Acts 28 verse 5, it says, But Paul shook off the snake into the fire and was unharmed. If any of us have come in here today with vipers attached to us, regret because of the past, I wonder if maybe today might be the day that you could just shake them off and walk away unharmed this morning. You might say, like, that's Peter and Paul. They're like apostles The strength of their will to be able to shake that stuff off must have been incredible. Well, Peter, the guy who declared that he was going to stick with Jesus no matter what and then um, disowns him a few hours later, falls asleep on the ground when Jesus asks him to stay awake and pray. That guy, not such a strong will. But later when he's empowered with the Holy Spirit, he never makes that same mistake again. He actually does die. He does go and be martyred for the cause. But... Sure, they might be apostles. They might have written part of the New Testament. So let's get God's perspective on it. Last scripture for this morning, Romans eleven twenty nine says, For God's gifts and his call can never be withdrawn. Other versions say, For God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. And that word in the New Testament is ah-metalomachi. It's the complete opposite of repentance leading to change it's the opposite because God does not change his mind when he calls you if you've said yes to him he's not going boy um, you just disqualified yourself I'm sorry it says his gifts and his call can never be withdrawn he's got a redemptive plan for every single part of your life and that redemptive plan does not include you living in regret and feeling immobilized and debilitated That plan is for you to keep going and keep living in spite of anything that's happened in the past, for you to shake that thing off, do a bit of Tay-Tay, 
shake it off and, uh, and keep going. And so this morning, I just, uh, I just want to declare something to you. And I want the band to come if we can. And if we could sing the bridge to that, um, not the bridge, the, ver- uh, the chorus even. We'll get there. The chorus of that second song we sang today. We're going to stand and sing it as a declaration. <laughs> yeah, let's come to our feet. And this morning, I declare in Jesus' name that, that we don't have to live in fear anymore, that we don't have to live in regret anymore, that we don't have to live with the what ifs and ifs onlys anymore, that actually God's call and His gifts are irrevocable. They haven't changed and they still stand in your life. He's got a plan for you. He's got a future for you. He's got a hope for you. And he hasn't changed it because of what you've said, done, who you are, the way you act, whatever it looks like. And this morning, I'll just ask everyone to bow their head and close their eyes because I want to give people a moment of privacy to consider the question, have you ever decided to follow Jesus? Have you ever decided to follow Jesus? Because... Today could be the day that you make that decision to follow Jesus. Have you decided to follow Jesus, but you feel like you've since disqualified yourself and you haven't yet shaken that thing off? This morning, I want to give you the opportunity if you want to decide to follow Jesus for the first time this morning or a recommitment to Jesus this morning because you have disqualified yourself. I'd ask that every believer be praying for those who might yet want to make this decision. Because we know that not everyone would want them to make this decision. And if that's you this morning, I'll just ask you to raise your hand right now. Everyone's got their eyes closed. They're not looking around. Thank you here in the middle. Thank you here in the middle, up the back a bit further. You can put your hand back down. Thank you. Is there anyone else here this morning who wants to say yes to following Jesus and no to any disqualification that they feel on their life? Is there anyone else here this morning? Yes, thank you there. Yes, thank you up the back there. Just one more moment. Anyone else this morning, you can just raise your hand and join with these people who are saying, yes, thank you, sir. Awesome. Well, we're here at Northwest Church. We consider ourselves a church family and that doesn't mean that we show up at your house unannounced or stay for too long. It just means that we love each other and we want the best for you. And so together today, we're going to pray as one church family, I'm going to pray and that everyone's going to join with you in making this decision public in Jesus' name. The Bible says that whoever confesses with their mouth and believes in their heart that Jesus is Lord, giving up all ownership to Him, then they'll be saved. So this morning, let's pray together. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for qualifying me to follow you. It's nothing I could do It's everything you did. Help me follow after you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we celebrate with those people who made that decision this morning? It's awesome news. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring faith or a follower of Jesus, there is a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to northwestchurch.com.au. And thanks again for listening.